I recently noticed in my neighborhood that we have a new addition uh, on this back road. It's one of those road signs that tells you how fast you're going. You seen those? I think I, I looked it up. It's called a driver feedback sign. And so you're driving, it tells you how fast you're going. And I know why, because it's a super crazy, long, curvy road and people drive way too fast on it. I've seen people drive like 50, 55 miles an hour, I think probably down this road and it's curvy and there's like kids playing in the yard and people riding their bikes, ladies walking, babies, their cars parked on the side of the road. You've been on one of these roads and people just, and so they put these things up and apparently it's helpful. Apparently having these speed limit, uh, these driver feedback signs are helpful in uh, making you more aware of just how fast you're going. Because I think that most of us don't want to run over children playing in the street, unless you're just some kind of crazy weirdo. Most of us just don't realize it. So even myself, I'm like, wow, was it going 35? Was I going 40? I should slow down. My guess is they'll put some speed bumps back there eventually and slow us down. But the thing is, we need stuff like that in our life. These little like monitors, these little alerts that tell us when it's time to slow down. Because the reality is we live at a time right now where we're just going faster than ever. It's not just our transportation. Like everything that we do is just going a thousand miles an hour, whether it's our, our technology, uh, we like to get money fast, we like fast relationships, we just consume, we consume, we consume, and then even more so, we consume it quickly and then we just kind of spit it out and move on to the next thing. We just consume and we do it so quickly and it's hurry. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Never in human history have we moved this fast. There was a, a doctor who's a cardiologist named Dr. Meyer Friedman. And uh, I just read an article this week from the American Heart Association Journal. It, apparently, initially, he decided to study the effects on the heart of stress after an upholsterer had visited his office uh, and decided and told him that the fronts of his seats and the arms of his chairs in his waiting room were wearing out way too fast. Patients were tense and they were sitting on the edge of their seats. First of all, that dude has got to be like the best upholsterer ever or like, or is just trying to get business. That's amazing that you would notice that. But secondly, it's pretty observant to say, wow, even the furniture is experiencing our stress. And so Dr. Friedman connected with a guy named Ray Ros- Rosenman, Dr. Rosenman, and they started doing a ton of research. And actually a lot of the stuff that we know about stress and the heart come from the studies that they did. But along the way, they actually discovered a phenomenon that they called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. Sounds like a made up thing, doesn't it? But it's a real thing. It's actually today, it's a real, legitimate, diagnosable disorder. Some psychologists and mental health experts say that it's an epidemic state around, especially in America. Hurry sickness. Let me give you a couple of definitions of hurry sickness. One, hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiety. Hurry sickness, anybody? Here's another definition someone gave. It's a condition in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and gets flustered with any kind of delay. Ah, why you slow me down? Hurry sickness. There's a book called The Time Cure uh, where the authors offer three symptoms for hurry sickness. And so we're going to do a quick little diagnosis session right here. Just see if any of these resonate with you. Three symptoms of hurry sickness. Number one. Moving from one checkout line to the other because it looks shorter or faster. I could save like, I could literally save 45 seconds right now if I would go over there. Man, can you imagine what I would do? Another symptom. Counting the cars in front of you and changing lanes because it either looks like a shorter light 
or a faster lane. <laughs> Symptom of hurry sickness. Third, this one burns a little bit. Multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. Hurry sickness. And this isn't just about a problem of being like in a hurry because you might make a mistake. It's actually like it's, it's a condition of the heart. And it, it's actually way more damaging than we can imagine. There's a book, and I, I want to show it to you. It's a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by a guy named John Mark Comer. I highly recommend that you, right now during church, get on Amazon, get your copy. <laughs> It'll be here tomorrow. Um, you can hurry up and get it and spend some time in it. And this is a really good time for me to plug this book because I'm going to be borrowing from it heavily over the next four or five weeks. And I want to give full credit to where it's due. Uh, John Mark Comer wrote this book. And in his book, uh, he, he just talks about the dangers of hurry and how it's hurting our soul. And he, and he actually pulls it from very deeply biblical principles. So I, I'm going to be using this a lot. Um, I read this book at the end of last year. It's been several months now. And it has fundamentally changed the way that I have been doing my life from day to day. It's caused me to slow down. It's caused me to be aware of some things, just like that driver feedback sign that I had in my neighborhood to say, what, really? Was it going that fast? Is it really that dangerous? And so I highly recommend that you check it out. Uh, anyway, John Mark Comer, in that book, he says, hurry is a form of violence on the soul. Do you feel it? Does it resonate with you? In his book, he lists his top 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. And so here they are. You got 10 fingers, okay? So keep score. This is just for you. Your spouse is not able to look or give you their opinion, okay? You decide. You decide what your score is. You got 10 fingers. There's 10 symptoms. See how many of these you come up with. Number one, irritability. You get mad or frustrated way too easy. Like think especially about how you treat your children, your spouse, your roommate, the people that you spend the most time with. Irritability. Number two, hypersensitivity. You get your feelings hurt way too easy. I mean, just somebody's comment or a, a text or an email could just set you off. Change, ruin your day. Hypersensitivity. Three, restlessness. Like when you try to slow down, you can't. You just, you just can't turn it off. It won't go off. Your mind is raising the ta- racing. The tasks are calling your name. Number four, workaholism. Are you a workaholic? You just can't stop accomplishing and accumulating and checking things off of a list because I just got to get something else done because if I don't, ah, it's going to have to be done later. Workaholism. Uh, what are we on? Number five, emotional numbness. You don't have the capacity to feel other people's pain. Empathy is rare for you. Emotional numbers, numbness. Number six, out of order priorities. Like you're always getting sucked into the urgent rather than the important. That's why you're checking text messages and emails instead of engaging with the human being who's right in front of you. That would be the important. But the urgent is that alert that's calling your name, and there's so many ways to address that out-of-order priorities. Maybe you're busier than you've ever been before, but you just feel empty about it. Or maybe you have all these goals and dreams, but you just you never seem to get around to those things. There's always something else. Number seven, a lack of care for your body. You don't sleep enough, you don't eat enough or eat right, you don't exercise, take care of yourself. You get sick a lot. You live on one John Mark Comer calls the four horsemen of the industrialized complex. Caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. That's how you make it. 
These are symptoms of hurry sickness. Number eight, escapist behaviors. So like when you're tired, instead of turning to soul-nurturing things, you just drown it out by binging stuff on Netflix or Disney Plus or, or you turn uh, to social media and you're just endlessly scrolling or surfing the web or you turn to pornography or addictive things like alcohol and things that just kind of consume your brain. And, and that's how you drown it out. This is how you get by. Number nine, isolation. You feel disconnected from people, from God, maybe from yourself. Like, I don't even know who I am. Number 10, slippage of spiritual disciplines. So as things pick up, the first thing to go is your connection with God. Meditation time, Bible reading, attending church, uh, being in good Christian community, these things. So this is between you and God, but how did you score? Five, six, seven, ten? You're not alone, okay? Even if you're three or four, I mean... We all have a tendency to have areas where we can grow. But this isn't about a New Year's resolution. This is about a form of violence to our soul that we need to work on. Dallas Willard is, man, he's one of the most influential Christian minds of this, this last generation. He actually passed away just a few years ago. But Christian leaders around the world would come to Dallas and would ask him questions for guidance on their life. And so there's another Christian leader named John Ortberg who was very influential to John on the writing of this book. But uh, So John Ortberg goes to Dallas Willard and he simply asked this question as he's being mentored. He said, what do I need to do to become the me that I want to be? And Dallas Willard thought for a long time and then he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And so John Ortberg's like, sweet. So he writes it down on his little notebook. He's like, okay, all right. What else? And Dallas says, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. He said, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. How do you feel about that statement? That hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life. I, I, I don't know that that would be the top of my list if I was like, look at the city of Wilmington. What is the great enemy of, you know, the Holy Spirit growing in people? What is the great enemy? I'd be like, I don't know, drug addiction. That'd be a big one. We, 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 we recently won that prestigious honor of being the opioid capital of the nation. Yes, good for us, right? Drug addiction, that's got to be up there for our city. Maybe that's it, or racism. Right, we've got really deep scars from the, the race massacre of 1889 or even just back in 2020. Do you remember what de- went down after the George Floyd incident in, in our downtown and around our city and our co- county? Like, surely that would be, that would be up there. Or maybe, uh, maybe poverty. Poverty would be a great enemy to our spiritual life. Or maybe secularism or maybe a bunch of other things. But hurry? Hurry is the great enemy of our secular, of our spiritual life? But then as I process that in my brain, here's the thing. When I show up in my house, there's not some like uh, racist drug addict on my front porch keeping me from growing in my faith. Like those things that seem like such a big deal, those aren't the things making me not grow in my faith or you. But you know what is? The fact that you just don't have time for it. The reality is that many of us, you know, no hard feelings, You're still in the club. You can post it on Facebook as your religious status. You can still come to our church, but I'm just going to be honest with you. You just don't have time to follow Jesus. That's the reality. You you answer that for yourself. 
Because instead of a racist drug addict dragging us away, it's that Facebook notification that keeps us from being in our Bible. And it's that series of meetings that we scheduled to keep us from being in quality community with people. And it's that fourth sport you signed your kid up for that kept you from not being involved in church for their entire teenage life. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry because it's keeping us from the God who created us to live a much slower pace. Corey Tim Boone, you may know her, but she said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's a psychologist named Carl Jung. He said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. In American culture, being slow is a bad thing. We don't want slow internet. We don't want the slow food service. We don't, you call somebody slow, you're, you're, you're cutting them down. <laughs> you're saying they're not very smart. We don't want to drive slow. We don't do anything slow. But remember, we've talked a lot about the upside down kingdom of God. God came here to flip everything upside down. And guess what? In the kingdom of God, slow is good. Look at the four biographies of Jesus in your Bible. Never once will you see Jesus in a hurry. Jesus is patiently, calm, calmly walking through uh, this world that he lives in. He, he, his task was Im- immense. Thousands of people clamored for his attention every day. But he's just sauntering through village by village, taking time to stoop and talk to children and heal sick people and hang out with people that are forgotten and lonely. He pauses to explain stuff to somebody who wasn't listening the first time. That's Jesus' mode. He sets aside huge portions of time just to stop. You know, Jesus, every single Saturday, didn't do anything. One whole day a week, he practiced the Sabbath. He was a good Sabbath-practicing Jew, and that's what he did. Of the seven days he had a week, there was one day where he literally, this is the practice, they would even make all of their food for the next day on Friday, so they didn't even have to cook the next day. Because he understood the pace at which God had created the human body to live. You never see Jesus in a hurry. And so he was able to live in a space of, space of love and joy and peace. Love, joy, and peace. These are things that God wants us to grow in our lives, but these things that are impossible when we're in a state of hurry. I want to read you a quote um, from the, the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry book. John Mark Comer says, Love, joy, and peace are the triumvirate at the heart of Jesus' kingdom vision. All three are more than just emotions. They're overall conditions of the heart. They aren't just pleasing feelings. They're the kinds of people that we become through the apprenticeship of Jesus who embodies all three. Walter Adams, he was a mentor to the great C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've heard of C.S. Lewis. Uh, his story is incredible. He comes from a place of not even believing in God to becoming one of the great Christian thinkers of our, of our time. He's, but his, his mentor, Walter Adams, said this. He said, to walk with Jesus is to walk a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work and never advances. Love, joy, and peace. And these are things that cannot exist in a state of hurry. You've got to be able to be present in the moment to experience those things and to share them with other people. Okay, one last quote. John Ortberg. He says, for many of us, The great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. 
We just skim over the surface instead of actually living our life. I think I've made the point, okay? (laughs) Hurry's bad. Hurry's bad. Uh, So what do we do about it? (laughs) Well, uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be worth it. I personally have been on this journey for about three months myself. I mean, honestly, my wife and I have tried to live this life for the better part of the last 20 years. uh, But it's easy to get drugged right back into it. Uh, So once again, I've reset. But it's so worth it. It is so worth it. I want to invite you on the journey with me. And and what is the answer? Well, uh, the basic answer is stop. Stop the insanity. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Why? Stop the insanity. Uh, But more so than that, I'm going to spend the next several weeks unpacking what I believe, and they come from this book. So again, feel free to get this book. Also, if you get this book, don't get the audio book and listen to it at 2.5 speed. That's not the way you do this book, okay? Slow down, all right? Get a notebook. I actually, I did the, I've never done this in my life, I've never, but I was like, okay, I'm just going to super nerd on this one. I listened to it at one speed while I read along following with my finger in the paper book. I did that. I'm going to tell you, you will consume it better that way. Um, so, but it, whatever you do. Get into it. We're going to study these things over the next several weeks, uh, and, and it's going to be huge. Today, though, instead of unpacking one big theory, one big idea, I want to point us at a person. Because I think at the foundation of all this conversation is a person. And believe it or not, the answer is Jesus. Isn't it always? It's the church answer. But it is. It is because there are some things we can learn by, by his life and following him that will lead to this unhurried pace of life. And the first thing to understand about this is that Jesus, in his context, was a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher called a rabbi. And the rabbi, you probably know this, but just a refresher, the rabbi would have students that would kind of live with him, like follow him, like literally walk in the dust of his sandals while they went through life. And uh, they, they were called his Talmudin or his disciples. I love what John Mark Comer calls it. You might have noticed I've been saying this for several weeks now. He calls them his apprentices. I think that's a better modern word for what a disciple is. An apprentice is someone who's trying to be like their master, okay? So the apprentice would follow the rabbi. And a rabbi, any rabbi, is going to have what they call their yoke. Y-O-K-E, not Y-O-L-K, like an egg. That's different. That's, you don't want that. Y-O-K-E is a farm instrument. You put it on the back of a beast of burden, you know, horse or donkey, cow, ox, something. And it'll pull a cart. It'll pull a, a plow. That's what it does. So the idea of a yoke is this is something that you will put on and you'll attach yourself to your teacher. I want to become more like that. Some people call it a mantle, like a, like a robe. Okay. So these are the things I'm going to wear. I want to become like my teacher. I'm going to wear his yoke. I'm going to take on his yoke. Every rabbi had a yoke. And in order to Take on the yoke of your rabbi. You had to do a couple of specific things. I'm going to give you three that are, that are they're quintessential to being a Christian, okay? And they are this. We need to be with Jesus. We need to become like Jesus. And we need to do what he would do if he were us. That's what it means to follow your rabbi. You need to be with Jesus, okay? They were with him personally, physically. For us, it's going to mean uh, reading his story of his life. There's four biographies in our Bibles. It's going to mean discussing that with our friends. It's going to, there is a meditative state in which we can be with Jesus. I think those of you who may have been in Christianity longer, it's like, I I felt that presence, right? Uh, So it's a spiritual thing as well, but be with Jesus. Then you've got to become like Jesus. If you've ever met a a married couple that's been together for long enough, you're kind of like, y'all are starting to look alike. Like, are y'all, you sure you're not cousins? Like, (laughs) because you start to be like the people you spend time with. You develop their mannerisms, you develop their values, uh, even their facial expressions and the turn of a phrase, right? We want to be with Jesus, we want to be like Jesus, and finally, we want to do what he would do if he was you. So when you face a scenario, you're not like, oh, what does so-and-so say about this? You're like, wait, 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 what would 
what would Jesus do right here? And we've got so many examples in Scripture of the way he handles so many different scenarios. And so if you do that, Jesus' promise is this, that he will heal your soul. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus has promised to you is that he will heal your soul? Because do you know what Jesus offers? He offers salvation. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but the, the Latin root of the word salvation is the same word that we get the word solve, salve, solve from. Like a medical ointment. You put it on a cut. It's a healing thing. Salvation is the process of becoming healed. What is Jesus offering us salvation from? Healing from? Spiritual damage. So whatever it is you're damaged by, sin, addiction, a broken past, whatever it is, hurry. Jesus offers salvation from that. That's, that's the basic gospel message. He brings this union with God. He creates a bridge between him and the eternal, us and the eternal God by healing our soul to a place where we can do that. And so I just really am going to look at one scripture today. Okay, and It's actually going to be a fairly simple review of it. But we're going to be looking at... Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. So if you've got a Bible, you can crack that open. We've got some free ones by the door if you need one to borrow or to keep. If you want to have one, it's yours. Um, Matthew 11, and this is Jesus giving an invitation to that healing. He's like, I want you to be part of this. And he actually invites you to become one of his apprentices in this passage. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I've read this a hundred times at our church. We're going to do it again. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Now, we, we cannot hurry through this passage. So we're going to do something today that uh, we don't do often. But I want to invite you, we're going to read through that same passage again. It'll be on the screen behind me, but I actually want to invite you to do this, if this is something you're cool with. And if you're watching online, do it too. Um, just don't be distracted by anything else right now. I, I, I want to invite you to close your eyes, okay? If that's weird for you, you don't have to. Let's take a deep breath, even if your eyes are open. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. What's weighing you down? Burden, stress, busyness, uh, debt, drama, pain, uncertainty, doubt, hurry. He says, come to me, bring me that. If you're heavy burdened, bring it to me. If you're weary, if you're tired. And I will give you rest. Why don't you breathe it in right now? Take a deep, deep breath. Wouldn't rest be nice? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let me ask you a question. Who do you learn from? Like, who's your influence? Where do you go for answers? Too often we try to turn, we say we turn to Jesus, but in reality, we're, we don't turn to Jesus for, to learn. But he says, take my yoke and learn from me. 
Stop getting all these answers from everywhere else. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. <laughs> this blew my mind. Um, we're talking about the unchallenged supreme ruler of the world, the universe, the creator. And how is he described? Gentle and humble. That's like going to Niagara Falls and somehow containing that power so that a, a little child could go play in that gentle trickle underneath. Like for God to have the ability to control his power and might and come to us gently, yet still have all the power of supreme God. I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. It's a promise. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So many other worldviews, so much of what the world is putting on you is hard and heavy. Jesus says, what I'm offering is easy and light. And do you know why? Because he shoulders the burden. He takes your guilt and your fear and your pain and your uncertainty and he holds it and he deals with it and he measures it out to you in the, in the amounts that you can handle and that you can deal with. Yes, life's going to be hard. Jesus, in fact, practice, but promises us that. If we turn to him, there will be hard things, but it won't be stress. It's that we become uh, warriors on the front lines of battle of spiritual war for this world. And even so, he carries the burden. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. And do what Jesus would do if he were you. The message translation of the Bible restates this passage beautifully. So if you're still closing your eyes, we're, we're almost done. You can keep closing your eyes. Um, and if you haven't yet, just listen to this, this few verses. This is uh, two verses. It's the same passage. It is in the message translation of the Bible. So it's the same same exact verse I just read, but in a kind of a more free translation, and it's beautiful. It says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Well, come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What a beautiful promise. That's the invitation. In a world that is zooming by us at a thousand miles an hour right now, the God of the universe steps in and says, slow down and come here. Let me give you rest. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus is teaching another time. He says that same thing in a slightly different way when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up. They're thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. 
I love that idea, remain in me. Other translations of that same passage say, abide in me. It's like this little pocket of security where you're like, I'm going to stay in the presence of God as I live my life. Yes, the world's going to come at you. There's things that you're going to have to deal with. But you're dealing with it from a posture of remaining connected to the vine. Now, we don't do a lot of grape vines and, and, and branches around here, but think about a pine tree, okay? Like, how in the world is the branch and the needles and the pine cone going to grow if that branch is like over there in your yard? It's not. It's got to get nutrients from the trunk. And that's the same idea. And so how often do you and I try to live this life where we're like, I live for God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. And then next thing you know, it's like, well, when's the last time you've really tried to remain in him, to abide with him? To seek him in your daily life, like daily life, not once a week or not for a five minute scroll through your Bible app in the morning, but like daily, like all day, I'm conversing with him in my thoughts and I'm thinking on him, on my decisions and the things that I'm doing are intentionally based on me saying, I want to remain connected to the vine. And if we do that, it says we bear much fruit. You don't have to teach an apple tree how to grow apples. It just does because it's connected And what will flow out of us is simply God's fruit, his spirit working through us and and in this world. The problem is so many of us are so close to that. Like you're so close to the presence of God. Because man, you're like regularly attending church. You own 15 Bibles. You've been calling yourself a Christian for 20 years. And we're like, we're so close to the presence of God, yet we haven't actually abided with him recently or maybe ever the beauty is god's grace says come anytime (laughs) start now start today it's not a guilt trip it's not say okay now i owe 10 years of penance because i've been bad for 10 years like no 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 right now right here today okay i want to abide with you lord i want to pick it up where i left off or maybe pick it up for the first time and i want to seek you i'm going to connect to the vine what does that look like (laughs) well One thing we say here is come back next week. We talk about it every week. Connect with Christian community. Start working on it on your own. I think innately we have some sort of instinct of what it means. Like for one, stop sinning. Like let's repent from sin. That's not going to help you grow in your walk with God. And seek wholesome things that are connected to him. And that is an introduction to the ruthless elimination of hurry. If you wanted all the answers today, I'm sorry. I don't have them. Uh, But we are going to do a lot more. And before we leave, I want to give us a challenge. Uh, We've been doing this for a while now, and it's a weekly challenge that says, okay, we're all going to do this, okay? There's a challenge. We're all going to try, and this is what it looks like. And I think that this challenge is going to set the course for the rest of not only this, this teaching series, but hopefully for the rest of your year. Here's the challenge. This week, pay attention to the speed at which you live your life and practice slowing. We're going to talk more about slowing. That's actually going to be a whole week in this series. It's like, what does it mean to slow? Is that a thing? <laughs> slowing? Um, but, but first, like they say, like, you can't fix a problem until you're willing to admit that you have one. So first, let's just take a little evaluation. You might be like, I didn't, I didn't need that. I was already good. Fantastic. I, I'm great. Uh, please call me and let me know how I might better teach this. Because if you're killing it, I would love to share what you've learned. And I'm not being sarcastic. Dead serious. If you're like, this has been working for me, please tell me. Because I want to say, so-and-so said this is working for them. Um, but first, we've got to realize that maybe there is a problem. So this week, pay attention to the pace at which you live your, live your life and practice slowing. And so what that means is you need to ask yourself, how quickly am I jumping every time my phone buzzes? i got to look. I want stupid smartwatches. And it's just like, 
all the time. I get it. My phone phantom vibrates in my pocket when it's in another room. Anybody else? You're like, oh, I'm an idiot. Yep. Don't even have a phone with me today. Yeah. Right? Like, so it's me too. Okay. Pay attention. Make notes. What are the things that are just dragging me down? Take a look at your, your, your Netflix and whatever else viewing history. Just see how many hours you've spent doing that recently. Just take an evaluation. Like, what is the speed at which you're living your life? And practice slowing. Okay, here's your homework. Ready? You ready? Take a nap. That's your homework this week. Take a stinking nap. Or go to bed at a reasonable hour. That might be even better. Okay? Take a nap. Here's another one. Cancel something that you don't have to do. Don't go. Unless you're scheduled to volunteer next Sunday at church. Please don't, because we're already thin enough. Like, come to that. But seriously, like, evaluate. Like, do I need this? Yeah, yeah. You need some stuff. You got to work. You got to do stuff. But don't do stuff you don't have to do. Slow down. Take a day off. How many of you, like, are rolling over, like, seven years worth of vacation? I work for the state. I'm trying to, you know, retire six years early. No, take your vacation. Put it on the calendar this year. Book a hotel room and go there. Slow down. You like that homework, don't you? I know I do. If I don't answer, I'm taking a nap. This week, pay attention to the speed at which you live your life and practice slowing. Um, the more in tune we become with what's happening in our life, the more life will slow down. The truth is the world's not going to slow down. They say in, in professional sports that like once a rookie starts to get better, it's like, oh, the game's really slowing down for them. It's not. The game is going at the same speed. But the more you know, in tune you become with the game and understand the priorities, the more you can see the field. You, you follow that analogy, maybe, hopefully. And so life does begin to slow down when you start to prioritize and when you start to understand, I've got a Savior who's healing my soul. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let's pray.